Tap in the keg daily is live for Tuesday. It is January 23rd. We're going to talk about the Packer priority order for the offseason. We'll talk about what our priorities will get into sort of the first look at the offseason. We're also going to introduce the Milwaukee Bucks tap list. But before we do that, we're going to talk about Chris Middleton's greatness and why he needs to be appreciated. And then lastly, we don't have a segment name for it, but we're going to look at the bracket for the first time. Talk about Marquette. We'll also talk about Wisconsin. Uh, I know nothing about the Badgers, but I will at least do it for my Badger friends because I'm a nice guy. Uh, but before we do that, social media, tap into keg on X slash Twitter, tap into keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook too. Uh, Instagram, man, I, I, I got to get Instagram going. Uh, we, we It has to compete with its fellow brethren because uh, it, it's just sagging. So if you aren't following Instagram, do me a favor, throw me a follow. I'd appreciate that. And then lastly, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your pods. Uh, if you're already subscribed, drop this in the group chats. Um, maybe your Packer fan friends need something else to listen to. Uh, their Packer podcasts are just talking about offseason, spinning their wheels, kind of talking about the same thing, not talking about the Bucks, not talking about uh, Marquette, or I, I won't talk much about the Badgers. I'll admit that. So you have to find somebody else for it. But we're going to talk about other things than just the Packer offseason. I think that's where we differentiate ourselves and we are there for you. Uh, we have this podcast four days a week. If you're new here, uh, we'll be off tomorrow uh, and then back at it on Thursday for ball night because we have Marquette and DePaul. We also have uh, the Bucks versus the Red Hot Cavs. And so it'll be a big night of basketball on Wednesday. We'll talk about all that on Thursday's show. And then Friday, we'll be back with Mitchie. Uh, we'll talk more about the Packers offseason. Maybe we'll have a decision on Joe Barry. Uh, and anything else. So that'll be this week's shows. Uh, thank you, as always, for rocking with us. We really do appreciate it. All right, let's get into it and talk about the Packers offseason and what they might be looking at. The Green Bay Packers begin the offseason. They begin it a little bit later. Uh, I think that if you were to tell Matt LaFleur in November, and granted, he probably was not planning for the offseason. He was not booking his trips to Cancun or wherever, you know, people might go. Uh, shout out to Quan Brister, who remains one of the worst, uh, saying Turks or Cancun after the Packers lost. Quan Brister has to beat the fucking Packers before he should be able to talk. But anyways... Uh, Matt LaFleur certainly was starting to sketch this stuff out, but he didn't think that it would start on January 22nd, January 23rd, doing the exit interview uh, with the Packer media yesterday. LaFleur did say we should be preparing for Detroit. He's absolutely right. Um, and LaFleur should watch the end of that game and see how Joe Barry got soft and Joe Barry got passive. And when the Packers could have absolutely harassed Brock Purdy and made a play, knowing this guy was begging you to throw an interception the entire game long, Joe Barry sat on his heels and let Brock Purdy carve them like a Thanksgiving turkey instead of bringing the fucking pressure and bringing the noise. I, I, there's been a lot of Brock Purdy discourse, and I, I don't want to talk about that today. Maybe we'll do it on Friday. But like, I, I think what's been interesting about it is I don't know if I've heard a lot of, well, the Packers defense played incredibly soft down the stretch and was not the same defense that we saw the entire game. Joe Barry got tight. And I think Matt LaFleur making the decision on Joe Barry, who apparently it does not have his contract up, which is interesting because most coordinators get three-year deals. And if Barry got a secret extension somewhere in there, you know, what basically are the Packers, what do the Packers have left from a contract perspective for their defensive coordinator? But we do not know if Joe Barry is going to keep his job. Joe Barry and the job will be something that Packer fans will be refreshing their X slash Twitter accounts for the next few days. They, but I will tell you, it's not something that just happens right away after the offseason. Even Philadelphia, which was an absolute clown show defensively, took until 
that Sunday, they news dropped it during the games on Sunday saying, oh yeah, Sean Desai, who got demoted as defensive coordinator throughout the year, is not going to be back. Matt Patricia is not going to be back. It took nearly a week for that all to happen. So what I'm telling you is that they're going to get a couple days. They're going to get to relax. They're going to get to meet their kids again. And it's not going to happen immediately. So if you expect Joe Barry to be fired this week, that's probably not going to happen. The only way it happens if Green Bay knows that defensive coordinators are starting to fly off the shelves, which is true. Ryan Nielsen, who's a guy that I think a lot of people liked, he goes to Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, that's fine. Uh, It sucks that he's going there. Uh, He's a good DC, but he's going to the AFC South. Now we'll have to play Packers next year as Packers face the AFC South next season, but still, that's fine. There are teams that have hired coaches. You have, uh, you know, Brian Callahan just got the job uh, with the Tennessee Titans. Um, I think someone else got, oh, Antonio Pierce got hired. There's been a few coaches that have been hired and rumors are swirling that Jim Harbaugh is going to take the Los Angeles Chargers job, which could mean Jesse Minter going to the Chargers as the defensive coordinator. I really want Jesse Minter. Now, if that's something that the Packers have to sort of basically expedite the process, then do it. And that to me is the only thing that might be different is that Green Bay feels the pressure. They see what's going on. I just don't know how Matt LaFleur can defend Joe Barry coming back when all the advanced metrics tell you that Joe Barry has been terrible. There are some traditional metrics that defend Joe Barry that say Joe Barry didn't do as bad of a job. But I think you look at those Buccaneer and Giants games. And I, I look, the Giants game's a weird one only because... I think the Packers were just, again, we talk all the time about there. They were a college team on steroids. It was a complete letdown spot. The weather was miserable. Jordan Love struggled with the swirling winds. Like, it wasn't just Joe Barry, but he's the only one that made Tommy DeVito basically into a cult story. And when they do the Tommy DeVito movie, which I'm sure will happen, that game will be the one that they use as sort of the antithesis of it all. So... I do think like you have to look at those games if you're Matt LaFleur and look at the Giants game and look at the Buccaneers game and say, if we are just better defensively in those two games, we win those two games, we then all this, even if you're one and one, even if you do lose one of those games, you're, you're playing the Lions week one. And guess what? I think the Packers win that game. I think the Packers beat the Lions. And then they would have faced that Buccaneers team again in Tampa Bay Right? No, or they've hit the 49ers. They would have probably played the four. Well, you don't know Cowboys and Cowboys and Rams. Who knows what happens there? But you might have still saw the 49ers in the second round, and you still might have ended up the same way. But who knows, right? The Rams could have beat the Cowboys, and the Rams could have saw the 49ers, and then you play the Buccaneers in the second round, and you could be facing the 49ers now in the NFC Championship game instead of the divisional round. Joe Barry cost you a seed, probably. I think that's fair to say. Now, Jordan Love probably deserve some of that onus too with the offense sputtering in October. The Packers left a lot on the table. That is the theme of this year. And Joe Barry is complicit in that. So I think you have to look for a new defensive coordinator. I don't think that Green Bay should go with, I, I just don't know how you can defend it when really you look like a Super Bowl favorite. A Super Bowl favorite does not have Joe Barry as their defensive coordinator. They have a new look defense. That that was the one thing that was prevented them from being great, not just good. And so I think they have to make a move at the defensive coordinator position. And I just don't know how Matt LaFleur can defend it. I I, I don't. Honestly, weirdly, if the Packers had sort of sputtered, maybe there's some questions about Jordan Love, maybe they only win seven games. I think you could maybe talk Joe Barry into, yeah, Joe Barry, you know, was kind of limited by what they had offensively. And that just give him, you know, a little bit better offensively and he'll be a better defense. And you you could kind of start selling that. But now, no, I don't think you can sell that. So I, I, I think the Packers definitely have to make a move at defensive coordinator and we'll see if they do and I, I will say I think there will be outrage in the streets if Green Bay decides to keep it you know the way they do other things that are on the priority list for the Green Bay Packers because it's not just defensive coordinator it's do you give Jordan love this extension do you give Jordan love a major deal Adam Schefter said that Jordan love is going to be one of the highest paid 
NFL players on, on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy a couple weeks ago, I think, or last week. Um, I don't know if Jordan Love is going to get, like, the bag, right? I think that Jordan Love is going to get a contract. I think it is going to have some protection in it. I think that they, the Packers are also going to look at what happened when Jalen Hurts got his contract, what happened when Daniel Jones got his contract, and that that is going to be kind of how the contract is structured. I do not think that they are going to just absolutely overpay Jordan Love. The Packers are too smart. Russ Ball has done this before. I don't think that the Packers are going to go to, you know, make sure that they're not going to have protections against this. And so I really do believe that Jordan Love is going to get paid, but I, I think it's going to be, I don't, I think Schefter is overreacting, you know, not surprising, but I, I think Jordan Love's going to get a good contract. I think they're going to structure it in a way that lets Jordan Love succeed, that lets the Packers still have opportunities to be successful. I also think that they can talk to Jordan Love and say, Hey, look, we know you're the guy, but to be successful, we're going to need to kind of, we're going to pay you. We're going to give you some money, but we're really going to pay you in a couple of years after the Aaron Rodgers contract's off. Like you got to get the Aaron Rodgers contract off the books. Once you get that off the books and potentially the Bakhtiari money off the books, I think then you can really talk about the big dick contract for Jordan Love. And I think Jordan Love will be okay with that. Jordan Love, you know, is as cool, calm, collected as really any quarterback I feel like in the NFL. And so I, he has sort of that Burrow-like sort of coolness about him. So I could see him being patient. I understand wanting to get paid. He might tell him, fuck that. Like, I want to get my money. And I, I fully understand that. And maybe the Packers will have to meet in the middle with him. And maybe they, they do actually pay him a ton of money up front to basically offset that. I, I don't, we'll have to see. But I, I do think, A, well, A, Jordan Love's getting paid. I think that is a lock. I don't think you can worry about them playing out this contract. But B, I just think what kind of contract will it look like? I think there are a lot of ways to potentially skin that cap. Next up on the Green Bay Packer priority list is what do you do about David Bakhtiari? David Bakhtiari obviously played one game this year. Um, it was incredibly disappointing. Uh, Green Bay Packers expected Bakhtiari to be there and he wasn't. And I, I just, and then you had a really good year from Rasheed Walker. Rasheed Walker was excellent. And do you keep what you have here or do you run it back with David Bakhtiari? Now the Packers can save a lot of money in terms of getting rid of David Bakhtiari. There has to be some financial work there. They could also trade David Bakhtiari it, with a lot of teams likely interested and in calling about Bakhtiari. I will say, I don't think the New York Jets are gonna be one of those teams. I understand that Aaron Rodgers is his guy, but MetLife turf is arguably the worst turf in football to play on. And if David Bakhtiari goes to the Jets or wants to go to the Jets, he is a complete fucking fraud. Like, I, honestly, like, I, I know that's aggressive, but that, like, everything he said about turf is absolutely fraudulent because MetLife is literally the worst turf that anybody could play on. And so then it's all a ruse. Then we go back to what we talked about in September, where I was honestly pretty harsh on David Bakhtiari. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna try to you know under sugarcoat or undersell that. Um, I think David Bakhtiari loves this team. I think he loves what Jordan Love has been doing. Uh, he's been certainly vocal on on X slash Twitter. So it's not like I think David Bakhtiari is quote unquote checked out. Yes, he's part of the old regime, but we saw how Aaron Jones fit in. I think David Bakhtiari can can fit in as well. And I think having him and Rasheed Walker is not a bad thing to basically say, okay, if you get hurt, we have Rasheed Walker or use Rasheed Walker as sort of your sixth lineman, your swing lineman. You know, what you had with Josh Nyman in the past, basically you're replacing Rasheed Walker with Josh Nyman. Josh Nyman, I I thought would be an unrestricted free agent, but Track did not have Josh Nyman as a free agent. I would assume that Josh Nyman is no longer, probably no longer part of the Packers next year, which, Totally fine. 
I'm totally okay with that. And so then basically that's what you're replacing and you're keeping Bakhtiari because you see Bakhtiari as a leader. I think how Green Bay pictures Bakhtiari is different than the fan base. And I think they still know or feel that there is a all pro there. And so I think David Bakhtiari is going to keep his job. I don't think they're gonna trade David Bakhtiari. I, again, if he wants to go to the Jets, it, it looks it's just a terrible look for him. He's painted himself into a bad picture. Now, if you want to go to the Raiders, where you know they play on grass, weirdly enough, inside, then yeah, that's a little different, right? Or he wants to go to Denver, uh, where he's from, or he, he went to school in Colorado. He's from California. Um, so like, or you know, but if he wants to go anywhere that's involving turf, like. And also, I think the Packers would work with Bakhtiari on what team he wants to go to. You know, they there is a history of this. They did it with Rodgers. They did it with Adams. Like, if Bakhtiari wants out, I think the Green Bay Packers will be fine letting him go because the culture and the chemistry that this young group has is kind of unparalleled and unlike something we've seen in a long time, in a long time in Green Bay. There are no clicks. This is a ride-or-die group. So... I think that they they would tell Bakhtiari like, hey, where do you want to go if Bakhtiari doesn't want to be a part of it? And I, I think that they, that's oversold kind of by the fans that, oh, Bakhtiari doesn't want to be here. I think he wants to be here. Um, just the question is, is what will Green Bay do? Because yeah, they could save themselves a lot of money, but it has to be, you know, the contract is a very weird one at that. And there's a lot of money where it's not just simply, oh, hey, we're going to cut David Bakhtiari because you're going to inherit a ton of dead cap. And maybe dead cap isn't real. You know, obviously there's, I think, a new TV deal for the NFL coming and it's going to be massive. And it maybe just does not matter and that you can take on all this dead cap. But I, I think the more dead cap you take on, the harder things become down the stretch. And I think as you you know are advancing and you expect that this is this new window with Jordan Love, I think you need to make it easier on yourself. Granted, it's gonna be hard with a high-priced quarterback, but I, I do think that you're gonna need to figure out how do we sort of maneuver and get that, get that done. Uh, you got to enhance the secondary uh, with the draft and also probably sign some low-cost veterans. You do not have the money for Antoine Winfield. Uh, I know everybody's going to talk about Antoine Winfield as being the guy for the Packers. They do not have the money for Antoine Winfield. Okay, let's, let's get out of there right away. But the Packers need safety help. The Packers probably need depth at the corner position with the Stokes injury plus expecting maybe a little bit of regression with Carrington Valentine or Corey Valentine. While those guys played well, I just don't know if, you know, once there's tape out, more of that, maybe they regress a little bit. But I, I think that you're going to need some corner depth. And I, Kishon Nixon has been a leader. He's the special teams leader. And if you're bringing Kishon Nixon back as your fourth corner and as your punt kick returner, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay bringing back Kishon Nixon if he's going to be your nickel. Um, he did not play well in that, that role this season. Um, so I don't want Kishon Nixon back in that role. Um, and I'm okay with letting him walk. Uh, but they they do need corner depth. I think that is where you're drafting in the first round. Um, you know, guys like Nate Riggins, uh, Rackshaw, uh, Tyler Newbin at safety from Minnesota has been a guy that's been thrown around. Uh, there's a kid from Miami, I can't, I forget his name now, um, that has also been thrown around. Uh, Jaden Hicks from Washington State. Like there are secondary depth in that first round, in that second round. You have all these early picks. Um, I think two of them, if not Mikey Sandstrow is another guy. He's not a first round pick, but I love him out of Michigan. And if you bring Jesse Minter, I think you want some of those Michigan guys. And I also think like Michigan's defense was very good. And I, I think you have to draft at least at Michigan's team in general. I just think you have to draft a couple of Wolverines this year. I, if, if you have the opportunity, you take advantage of that. Uh, but Sandstrow, uh, is, you know, a guy that I, I, I really like, but he's a third round, fourth round guy, um, just given his size. He's not very big, but I, he fucking plays and he's a leader and I, I would definitely love him on my team. So yeah, I think you look at that enhancing that secondary, you know, in that combination. I think you have to figure out what you're gonna do with running back two, as well as extend Aaron Jones. I think you can give Aaron Jones a light extension. I don't think it has to be something magical, but you basically restructure his deal. You keep paying Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones leader of this team. You can't get rid of Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is 
as important to the Green Bay Packers as Jordan Love is. Um, I, I can make that case. I think ever, all these younger guys love him. I, he is just, he's the leader. Uh, and we, I called him the Donald Driver, the Leroy Butler of this generation, and he absolutely is. And then for RB2, A.J. Dillon probably will walk. Um, I don't see a reason to sign A.J. Dillon again. Um, and the question is, what do you do at that RB2 position? Do you look at Derrick Henry? Can you convince Derrick Henry to potentially be this one-two combination with Aaron Jones? I don't know. I think that there are going to be teams that want Derrick Henry as their lead running back. So I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's a very interesting, you know, that one-two punch of Henry and Jones would be as good of anything in the league. And they wanted Jonathan Taylor, or at least that was rumored. And if they have this vision of this one-two punch, Derrick Henry would be the guy. Um, they also, there's also talented running backs in the draft, whether a Bucky Irvin from Oregon or a Blake Corum or a Jonathan Brooks. Now, Jonathan Brooks got hurt and tore his ACL. So that, to me, gives me more trepidation. The Packers were sort of like, they lost, they, again, back to that seven-win example. I'd be a little more okay with Jonathan Brooks, but like I'm ready to go right now. Like I don't know if we need a guy that's going to be a development running back. Like yeah, you could draft Jonathan Brooks and sort of stash him, but then you would need an RB two, so that you'd need a Derrick Henry or you'd need another backup running back. But I think that you could talk guys into playing in Green Bay. I know the city itself is not great, but the idea of winning a Super Bowl I think would be there and. One of the things in Packer, there's been some loose comparisons to that 96 team that kind of all hit at the same time. They brought in veterans. Now, Keith Jackson was there beforehand, but Keith Jackson from, you know, was played for the Eagles, had played for the Dolphins, and he kind of, that was his last stop. And the Packers became this dynamic, you know, tight end combination with him and Mark Shimura over the middle. And so basically, to play out the example, you have Derrick Henry there, and it's basically Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones. How do you really stop Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones rushing attack? I, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't. And and you think about Derrick Henry and him having a little less snaps and kind of lessening the workload. I just wonder how successful that would be. So I, I, I'm, all, I'm kind of all in on that idea. I just don't know, A, could the Packers afford it? B, would Derrick Henry be down with that? And I'm not sure. We'll have to see. And then lastly, what do you do about Kenny Clark? So Kenny Clark has $15 million left on his deal. Uh, he has a classic Packer deal that's completely backloaded. Uh, Kenny Clark can either get that extension or the Packers could let Kenny Clark go, um, inherit a little bit of dead cap and move on. If we think about the Packers in the past, um, really really what it's been is when they've signed a bunch of guys, you know, in terms of draft before the they're a year ahead. So remember with the wide receivers, they drafted all those wide receivers and then Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb are gone. Um, they've drafted offensive tackles or offensive guards, and all of a sudden these guys aren't coming back. The Ted Thompson way is to not give a guy a third contract. I will say Kenny Clark's age is a little bit of a difference maker. Kenny Clark's only 28. This isn't Kenny, if Kenny Clark was 32, I'd say no way is he coming back. I'd even say at 30, there's no way Kenny Clark is coming back. But when you're 28, I, I think there is a shot to bring Kenny Clark back or at least extend him for a couple more years. Maybe not a full four-year deal, but maybe two or three. I Again, going back to the timeline, I think the timeline of the Green Bay Packers has been enhanced. And it's, it's not where we were in October. And so that's where I wonder, would Kenny Clark, maybe, you know, in October, it was like, no, we'll, we won't keep Kenny Clark. We'll draft, a, we'll draft the Kenny Clark replacement. And then now it's like, well, wait a second here. Do we want Kenny Clark? Do we want to keep Kenny Clark? I, I think that's a really big decision for Green Bay. And also, Brian Gunacoust has done things a little differently than Ted Thompson. Ted did not give third contract. Brian has done it with a couple, did it with Bakhtiari. I, I could see him doing it with Kenny Clark. Um, we'll have to see. The Jair deal, I don't think Kenny, I don't think Ted would have done either, by the way. So I, I don't know. We'll certainly have to see. And I, oh, I had one more thing. Uh, middle linebacker, I, I don't know what they do. That con Campbell contract is awful. Uh, they still have really one year before they have a true out on it. I don't know if you can convince a team 
to trade for Devondre Campbell. Isaiah McDuffie was impressive, but I would still look at the draft to potentially draft a middle linebacker. Um, I know that's not a sexy pick. I know that's not a traditional pick, but as I think it was Jeremy Fowler of ESPN pointed out, like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen are, are part of the reason why the Ravens are really good. Same for the 49ers with Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. And then you look at the Packers and it's Devondre Campbell and Clay Walker. I think Clay Walker has a chance to be in that category, but I, I don't know about Devondre Campbell. Devondre Campbell looked like he lost a step. He was banged up literally the entire year. Now, we have seen in other sports, I think about Chris Middleton, like sometimes when you're banged up the entire year, you just have a bad year. And so if Campbell's healthy, Campbell's, you know, maybe there's still something left in him, right? And you maybe draft his replacement, kind of similar to what you would do with, as we just talked about Kenny Clark, and you have that guy kind of waiting in the wings, but you don't have a ton of roster spots for these guys. Like Eric Wilson, who's also a middle linebacker who did play a little bit, you know, he's a special teamers. He's an excellent special teams player. So do you want to bring him back? And if you bring him back, then what do you do about your linebacker depth? Could you sell a team on Devondre Campbell, potentially move off his contract and try to get younger and have McDuffie as the starter and then whoever you draft kind of competes with him. I don't know. I think that will be a challenge. Um, I expect Campbell to be back, but I, I think that that is a looming issue for the Packers. And then also, yeah, if your defensive coordinator is like, we need, a bet, we need to increase that position. We need to get better at that position. Then what do you do there? So uh, that's definitely all there. There's obviously a lot more. We're going to certainly talk a lot about the Packer offseason. We're not going to go away from Packer content, even though we're doing a ton on the on the Packers, um, I, you know, or a ton on other teams. And I, you know, as I pitched you guys, it's not just, it's going to be, you know, Bucks, it's going to be Marquette. It's going to be the Brewers once we get going a little bit more. Um, I, I do think that, you know, we'll still talk a lot about the Packers. And obviously they, this off season is, as the last few have been so stressful, um, this, has, this is probably the most exciting one in a long, long time. So we'll have to see what all transpires. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. I do have a new segment called Tapless that is not necessarily a new segment, like we've done it before, but I will talk about it here in a second. But there will the Tapless will always be there. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and then sometimes you have other topics to talk about. And the topic today is Chris Middleton. Uh, and Chris Middleton's underappreciated greatness. Uh, Chris Middleton finished... Uh, is now third in terms of all-time scorers for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, he passed Glenn Big Dog Robinson uh, yesterday with a dagger three to put away the Detroit Pistons finally. And I think everybody has had moments where they doubted Chris Middleton. I wouldn't say that I was as much as others. Um, Chris Middleton certainly has had haters uh, way more than maybe any two-man should in in the NBA, uh, but he's been great. And Chris Middleton, I think has a, I don't know if he has an outside shot at being a Hall of Famer in the NBA, maybe another title uh, would certainly help that or more all-star appearances. But Chris Middleton's number is going to get retired in the rafters in uh, the Pfizer Forum. Uh, Chris Middleton ha is one of the reasons the Milwaukee Bucks won a championship. Chris Middleton hit a lot of big shots. The Brooklyn series, the game three, I mean, is as much of a Chris Middleton masterclass as you're going to see. Chris Middleton has had moments against the Boston Celtics. He's stepped up in the playoffs. He averaged 23.8 in the year the Bucks won the championship, which I think gets sort of, I want to say disregarded, but not thought of when you think about Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, is as good of any, it, it, it's just, he is as underrated, I think, as, as it gets. Um, I, I think he was a top 20 player. I think obviously he's slipped a little bit because of the injuries, but when, you know, the Bucks were, you know, at the championship peak, at the championship mountaintop, you couldn't tell me that there were 20 players better than Chris Middleton. I mean, there might be 10, but he was in that 10 to 20 range. And he's had just consistently a incredible career for the Milwaukee Bucks. And yes, it is not flashy. It is not sexy. But it is.
is consistent. And I've always sort of said that about Chris Middleton. If you go back and podcast in the past, you know, Chris Middleton, it, it was always just, he was there, he was reliable. You need to argue at times, you know, was he the second banana or was it Drew Holiday? That was a, a conversation that Mitch and I had way too much. But at the end of the day, it was kind of always Chris Middleton to quote Jersey Jerry. It was always Chris Middleton because Chris Middleton was sort of the key sort of stabilizer. He was the guy when you needed a big shot, you went to Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton changed Bud's offense, hilariously enough. Mike Boonholzer is obsessed with three-pointers and layups and does not like mid-range shots. Chris Middleton is like, I'm too good at fucking mid-range shots for you not to let me shoot from the mid-range. Chris Middleton, you know, in the post, just taking guys down and shooting over them. The Eric Nam too small gif that you saw with all the different players. Middleton just has an array of buckets. And if you don't appreciate Chris Middleton, respectfully, you don't appreciate basketball. Like, I know that that sounds harsh, but just all the different things that are in 22's toolbox are extremely impressive. And I think there are people that still want to trade Chris Middleton, that people think that Chris Middleton is washed. I understand that he's still coming back from a knee injury, and these games still exist for Chris Middleton, he had 26 tonight. He was nine of 14 shooting. Again, had the three to not only give him third place, but to give the Bucks the game. And there are still these Chris Middleton games that exist. And I think as long as you keep him healthy for the playoffs, these are going to be there. Where Chris Middleton, AKA the stabilizer, when Dame Lillard's having a bad night, Chris Middleton can come in and deliver, you know, and be that third option. And you need that third option if you want to win a title. So I still think that the story for Chris Middleton is untold, but the the player himself is still something to marvel at. A guy who was a second round pick that was a throw-in in in the Brandon Jennings deal and the Bucks get Chris Middleton and he has become one of the best players in the Bucks history. And again, deserves to be in the rafters. And it's just, you have to like just acknowledge what he's been able to do and the all-star appearances and everything else. I mean, the Middleton stats, I think are more crazy, not crazy, but like they're better than I think anyone really knows or slash thinks. Like if you look at Chris Middleton, he has averaged for his career 16.9 points a game, right? But Middleton has scored over 18 points in one, two, three, four, five, six, six out of the last eight years. I'm not counting this year. The only two years where he didn't average at least 18 points, he got hurt in the, those are two injury plagued years. But Chris Middleton has averaged 16.9 points per game. He's 38% from three point land. Now, To start his career, when he was with the Detroit Pistons, he was 31%. Now, he only played 17 minutes. He only played 27 games. But Chris Middleton became a great three-point shooter in Milwaukee. The worst Middleton had from a three-point perspective was last year at 31%. That that Middleton, though, is not. He, on average, is around 38% from three. He's 88% from the free throw line. It's hit clutch free throws and been that guy for Giannis Antetokounmpo in terms of making those big shots, you know, when it matters the most. And so I think you have to appreciate what Middleton has done. I know I've overstated that, but I, I really, I don't want it to be sort of disregarded and that he deserves his flowers as the kids would say. And Chris Middleton has, has just had a great career with the Milwaukee Bucks and it's not over. And there's still, there's still a story left to be untold. And he's had a really good postseason career with the Bucks. And, you know, averaging that 23 point, he also did that last year. I know we don't want to talk about last year, but he was really good in that series. Like he put the Bucks on his back, even though he had had a bad regular season. He had an excellent postseason. He shot 40% from from three. He had 23 points. He shot the ball a lot. He was eight to 17. You know, that was, you know, a little more more than what was needed, but they just needed him. And that's, I think, to kind of sum it up, whenever the Bucs needed Chris Middleton, 
he was there for him. And that part should not be lost on fans. It's easy to watch the dunks or the threes and 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 not necessarily, you know, see the little things that Chris Middleton does. But Chris Middleton was always there for the Bucks. And I don't think that should be disregarded. So kudos to Chris Middleton for doing that. And now let's get into the tap list. So what the tap list will be, uh, for those who are curious, it, it will be three to five, maybe more, the things that are on tap, things to talk about, uh, storylines to look into, player stats, things like that. And then we'll be like, what's coming up? What's on tap? You think about a bar and they have like, oh, what are, what are things to look forward to? What, you know, what things are gonna be on tap coming up? Originally, I was gonna do this for both the Bucks and Marquette. And then I'm like, you know what? Sometimes talk about both. And so I'm like, ah, maybe do something a little bit different uh, for Marquette. So we'll, we'll think about that. Um, let me go back to the drawing board on it. Um, I know it's a little bit of a different audience. Um, you know, those who are Marquette fans are just kind of Marquette fans, um, but we'll think about it. So maybe, maybe we'll go back to the grades. I think the only problem with the grades is that you end up just talking about the box score. And so you don't really end up talking about the game. Um, so I'll, I'll think through uh, maybe a little bit different in Marquette, but it, it might be the same thing, just repackaged. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly have to see. All right. The first thing that is on tap is the Milwaukee Bucks bench. Uh, another absolutely miserable game from the Milwaukee Bucks bench in the 122 to 113 win over the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the Bucks couldn't put away the Pistons really because of the bench. We talked about it on Monday's show about how everybody was a plus for the Bucks in terms of their starters and everybody on the bench was a minus. Uh, this from Bango, Bango's Burner. Uh, Bucks bench last two games against the worst team in the league. 38 points, 24 rebounds, two assists, 124, 127 minutes wasted, and minus 81 in terms of their plus minus. Only outscored by the Pistons bench by 110. 148 to 38. Wow. That is awful. That is really, really bad. This from Nate Marzon in the last two weeks, Gian, or last two games, Giannis plus 25, Dame plus 38, Chris plus 13, Brooke plus 33, Beasley plus 43, Bobby minus 25, Jay Crowder minus 19, Pat Connaughton minus 27, Ajax minus nine. Real quick on Jay Crowder, I'll give Jay Crowder a little bit of uh, sort of solace because he's just coming back from an injury. Fine. The other guys, no time for. Um, this, it's a complete disaster. And I really do think that they, someone needs to kind of talk to Adrian Griffin here and be like, okay, we got to fix this. I understand that Malik Beasley has been excellent as a starter. The Bucks defensive rating actually from their starting five has been really good. It's actually one of the best starting five combinations in the NBA. But at some point, you gotta fix the bench with what you have. And I know the deadline is slow, is approaching. The rumor is the Bucks are looking for a point of attack defender, whether it's Alex Caruso, whether it's Matisse Thibel. I don't know if Finney Smith was mentioned in that sort of rumor, but they are definitely looking for that type of guy. Why not have the conversation with Malik? I think Malik Beasley really likes his role with the Bucks. I think he likes playing with the Bucks. He's had a really great sort of bounce back year with Milwaukee and they just tell him, look, we need you to be a bench guy. We just need you to be out there. I, but I also think the worry is that Andre Jackson Jr., who I wanna talk about in another part of this, is just, he is a little too aggressive defensively. So if he picks up two fouls right away in the game, you're like, oh, you're kind of screwed. You're kind of playing with a hand behind your back. And then you're kind of in the same mode that you have. And you didn't get sort of the year from Marjan Bochamp, who's been kind of buried on the bench. Like Marjan has really sort of fallen off these last couple weeks here and sort of an adjustment that Adrian Griffin made when Jay Crowder came back is we're reducing minutes for Crowder and we're reducing minutes for campaign. And those guys are not seeing the, seeing the floor. And so because of that, you don't necessarily have that extra guy. And I, I agree with what he's doing. And I agree with Griffin to sort of, to bring down the bench a little bit here and not play 10 guys. That was something that we would be very critical of Mike Boonholzer in the past. They was playing too many dudes. 
So whether it's Andre Jackson Jr. starting, whether it's Jay Crowder starting, which I, I don't think you – like that to me is like a supersized team. And I don't know if the Bucs would be quick enough for certain certain teams. I think you maybe be, be able to do it, you know, with, this, with different types of rosters. But I, I don't know if you could do that for everybody. Like for the Lakers, right? I think you could do that for the Lakers. Um, I think you could do that for – Probably, no, I, maybe the Suns. Um, I'm trying, it's, it's a selected few that you could start Jay Crowder. But I just wonder, will they tell Mikel Be- Mike, Malik, I don't know why I struggle with that, Malik Beasley to kind of go on the bench and say, we need you on the bench because our bench scoring is so fucking bad. I don't know. We'll, we'll certainly have to see. Uh, but yeah, that that is a real issue uh, right now for the Bucks, and it just hasn't get better. And it's been the problem all year. And the Bucks depth has been a real issue. And I think if you were to tell John Horst that Bobby would fall off like this, I, I don't know if you could trade Bobby, but I, I think the Bucks have done enough to, to show that Bobby's been a disaster. And Conspiracy Chuck, if we just want to put on the tinfoil hat a little bit here, uh, would tell you that I wonder if they're kind of smoking Bobby out in the sense that they're showing the real fans who are watching every night how bad Bobby is and then basically have built a case to trade Bobby Portis. Now, do I think the casuals know that? No. I think the, respectfully, the pink hat Bucks fans are going to be mad when Bobby Portis gets traded. But I, I I think that they need to understand, like, if you watch these games, Bobby's a fucking black hole. And he's just, whenever he gets the ball, I expect it going up. I don't expect Bobby to move the ball. It is Bobby Portis time. Uh, Mike Boonholzer deserves a lot of credit for reining Bobby Portis in and making sure that Bobby Portis was a team player. And that was something that we did not give Bud enough credit for. And he deserves more credit than I think we did in the past. Tap two, Giannis goes off for another triple-double. 31, 17, and 10. Uh, Giannis, I, I, he's had what five triple doubles this year. Uh, he's just he's having them more frequently. I think just because of having Dame Lillard, because of having Beasley, uh, having these shooters have opened up you know the assists for Giannis more than what we've seen in the past. He's averaging six point one assists. That is a career high for Antetokounmpo. Now, granted, the scoring for the NBA is way up, but. Giannis adding adding a little more assist to his game has been very fun to watch. He hit Beasley in the corner on a no-look pass. That was a huge three-point shot in the fourth quarter as this game was tight. Uh, and Antetokounmpo just continues to be special night in, night out. Um, I, there, it's, not, it's worthless to talk about him as sort of an MVP, but 31 points tonight. He did have 25 shots. I understand that that is not exactly what you want in terms of an efficient night, but you probably needed more from Antetokounmpo because the Bucs could not make a shot from deep. And the Bucs struggled for, in terms of shooting. They were 10 of 39 from three, 25%. So you needed a little more from Antetokounmpo offensively than in the past. And I uh, so that's part of it. Also, Giannis missed four threes on his own. Uh, he was shooting a little more from three than he has in the past. I think that's the most threes he has shot, let's see here, since, oh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Okay, so since that Brooklyn game on the the 6th of November, that that was the last time Giannis has shot more than three threes in a game. So uh, just my, one of those nights where, you know, he had some open open looks and you know didn't hit him and you know Giannis has sort of went away from the three-point ball uh it's been you know way much of a decrease from years past um hopefully that that is not a sign of things to come uh maybe just he was settling a little bit it was good to see his free throws he was 8 of 12 after an 11 of 22 night so good to kind of see him bounce back in that category and again notch yet another triple double uh for Milwaukee Tap three, Bucks defense, not bad today. Um, you know, 113 points uh, allowed after giving up 130, was that 135 to the Pistons the uh, game before. So kind of nice to see the Bucks clamp down a little bit on this Pistons team. Uh, they, after having a great three-point shooting night, they were only 10 of 30 from three. Um, you know, obviously Sasser uh, went off and he went off, you know, in the last one of that one game where the Bucks nearly lost in that 120 to 118 matchup. Uh, but 
other than Sasser sort of going off and Isaiah Stewart also played well off the bench, uh, the Bucks did a pretty good job in terms of keeping their guys, you know, down, if you will. Um, and so credit to them uh, and, and sort of the adjustments made. I realize it's a bad team, but they are they are a little peskier. I, I'm kind of going to watch the Pistons and keep a close eye on them for the next 10 games to see like, all right, are they competing? Are they going to beat some teams here? And I, I will agree. I, I did think, and I know I was pretty harsh on the Valley broadcast, and they did it again. I had to mute them. Like, I was just like, I can't do this for another game with the Pistons where they were like, oh, Detroit, you know, Detroit's pesky, yada, yada. It's like, well, we'll have to see. I'm, I'm going to test that out. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to kind of look and see, like, all right, was this – was there some merit to what Steve Novak and Lisa Byington said? I can be wrong. I can be wrong. I, I, I have no problem being, saying I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm saying I fucked that up. But um, I don't really see it that way. So uh, I look at that, and I, I think the you know the Bucks defense was solid in this game, uh, holding them to 113, you know, the lowest uh, you know offensive output for a Bucks opponent since that Rockets loss where they held the Rockets to 112. Now the only problem is they lost that game. Uh, so or they held Boston to 102 too. So those were the last two games where the Bucks have sort of you know tightened it up defensively, um, and hopefully you know that's signs of things to come but you know don't hold your breath Andre Jackson Jr.'s en- energy is unmatched uh the sequence for Jackson Jr. in the first half was really good uh he definitely brought sort of the energy and effort that you need every night and that you want the Bucks to play with and I think that's why people there the stretch that Jackson Jr. had in that sec- second quarter is why everybody really likes the future of Andre Jackson Jr. why I I personally think Andre Jackson Jr. is an untouchable asset because I, I think he has a chance to be special um I think he's maybe a year away from really hitting that peak and really hitting where he could be but just I mean he blocks a shot he gets a huge dunk he's you know diving on the floor he, he's doing all the little things and you know in a game where it, it was another sleepy sort of like you're playing the Pistons, not as big of a crowd from you know Monday night. You have a, a fan base who just watched their Lions go to the NFC Championship game, and now you got to watch a four-win Pistons team. Like it's just going to be different, right? And a, probably not a huge crowd, especially after everybody was probably out at the bars the night before celebrating the Lions game. So they probably didn't go back out to watch the Pistons play, right? So sleepy crowd sleepy environment and you have Andre Jackson Jr. just bringing the fucking fire. In terms of what's on tap, what's coming up, uh, they play Cleveland two times here starting on Wednesday. Cleveland has one of the best net ratings in the last 10 days. Um, They are playing extremely well. They absolutely crushed the Magic on the road uh, yesterday and were dominant for that entire game. Cleveland is on a heater. Um, And this is probably the worst time to be playing this Cavs team, they really have it together right now. Uh, and I think you have to hope for a split. I mean, I, if you get swept at home, that would be a pretty much a red flag, in my opinion. Uh, and you've also lost three games to Cleveland. And then you don't have a tiebreaker against either Cleveland or Indiana. And you're not that far away from losing, you know, the Central Division. So that that would be a real issue. So, you know, you're one and one right now with the Cavs. You at least, if you win... Friday, Wednesday, we have our favorite house money commentary. And you're probably not going to have Middleton. I I would actually assume you have Middleton for that Wednesday game. And then maybe he sits for the New Orleans game because that will be three games and four nights. So I I would imagine that I personally would rather have Middleton on Friday night against this Cavs team than against the Pelicans because the Pelicans game doesn't matter as much. But if you're able to beat... So it really actually isn't house money on Friday. Fuck that. Because if you can win the series against the Cavs, then you have the tiebreaker against Cleveland. So yes, you don't have the tiebreaker against Indiana, but you have the tiebreaker against Cleveland. That would go a long way. Um, but I, I do think with the way the Cavs are playing, it's going to be probably tough to beat them, beat them back-to-back games. They're just playing really good basketball right now. And sometimes that's just how the schedule works. And I think... I know Bucks fans will be frustrated if they lose to Cleveland again, but you have to at least acknowledge that the Cavs are playing really good fucking basketball right now, and you can't can't discount that. All right, wrapping up today's show. It is a long one today. Uh, thank you guys for uh, sticking with me. Uh, we're gonna do resume talk. So 
Uh, I'll figure out a name for this, but we we have we do brackets usually once a week, kind of look at where you know teams are, um, and we'll look at all of Wisconsin. Uh, I, I called it something last year. I will try to find what I called it um, last season, and we'll we'll re reengage with that. Um, we do talk about Wisconsin because I, I think you got to acknowledge it. You can't just ignore like that. Wisconsin's not in the tournament. Um, if UWM or Green Bay found themselves in there. We talk about Green Bay's having a great year um, under Sundance Winks. Uh, it has been a step back for Bart Lundy, uh, weirdly enough. So uh, not necessarily the same year UWM had last season, but if they were in the mix, we'd certainly talk about them as well um, and where they are in terms of their seating. But we will talk about both Marquette and Wisconsin, obviously leading with Marquette and talking about the Golden Eagles. Um, but I just think it'd be weird not to at least acknowledge where the Badgers are. There is no opportunity for a Marquette-Wisconsin rematch uh, in March um, as it states today. Um, so at least let's let, let's keep that in mind. Uh, and let's, I think, actually probably okay given uh, Marquette's recent struggles. But looking at Marquette, and we're going to do Jerry Palm and Lenardi. I, I kind of want to move off Lenardi. Uh, but right now, um, not everybody's doing brackets like every day. And so if we're doing this as a weekly, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday segment, uh, Jerry Palms will be the most recent. And then we'll talk about Lenardi's, which comes out on Fridays right now. I think as the season goes on, we'll start getting more brackets and then maybe we can move off Lenardi. I'd love to do that. Uh, in terms of the Palm bracket, uh, it's a three seed playing a Drexel team in Pittsburgh. It's kind of a weird matchup in the sense that Drexel, uh, for those who know, don't know, uh, is in Philadelphia. So, and I know Philly to Pittsburgh's not, you know, it's not exactly close, but that still is an advantage for Drexel, right? Um, so Marquette would be playing that Drexel team. They are sort of a slow it down, grind it out team. Uh, that's not exactly a great matchup uh, for the Golden Eagles. Uh, they would play the winner of Texas Tech and Texas A&M. Yes, the Buzz Williams Bowl could be on tap for the second round. Uh, Texas A&M is on the bubble, so we'll have to see. Texas Tech having a solid year in their first year with Grant McCaslin, the Texas North Texas coach. Again, another real slow it down, grind it out. That would not exactly be the region you'd want from Arquette. Um, I think from a fan perspective besides the Drexel angle that would be it would be more pro Marquette they would be in the Midwest region and they really would be in a group of death um Kentucky is the number two seed in that region and Purdue is the number one season now you would be in Detroit for the Sweet 16 that's nice that that definitely you know what you want but I, I do have trepidation about playing having to play Purdue having to play Kentucky uh, Kentucky's really talented I, I do agree though there is a whiff of overrated with Kentucky they play South Carolina tonight on the road I'll be curious to see how they handle that environment the young team they really haven't had a tough road environment South Carolina I don't I think hovering around the bubble I don't know where they are I haven't exactly been that deep into Brad I this is when I just start putting my toes in bracket talk. I know South Carolina's had a solid year under former Badger coach Lamont Harris. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Kentucky is a maybe a whiff overrated. I think Auburn, to me, is the best team in that SEC. Like, I right now look at, like, Auburn, UConn, Purdue, North Carolina are probably the teams that I would say would be my quote-unquote Final Four uh, if I had, a, had to just do it off the top of my head. Uh, but I, I look at that and I say, I don't really want to play Kentucky in, in Sweet 16, and I really don't want to play Purdue again. Um, and I'll be curious to see with, you know, the bat, Marquette, excuse me, playing Purdue, you know, multiple times the last two years, will they, will they alter that? Will that, will that be a reason to keep Marquette sort of out of the Midwest? Um, but would be an advantage if you're playing in Detroit. Lenardi also has Marquette in, in that region, uh, but they would be playing, and they also, he also hasn't played Drexel, but he has them as a four seed and they'd be in Brooklyn. Uh, which I, I think I don't hate. Uh, Marquette is a good contingent out in the New York area. Be kind of weird considering, you know, they're in Madison Square Garden. They come home, they go right back out to New York. Um, I, I'm not exactly wild on that, um, but I, you know, whatever. It, it, they still would have an advantage 
And Drexel would be tight because, again, you're, they're Philly. You, you take a train over to New York. They're going to have more of a fan base than maybe some of the other mid-majors would. You'd play the winner of Oklahoma and McNeese State. I actually hate that. Uh, Will Wade, though, I think is a Shaka disciple, right? Because Will Wade, I think, start went to VCU after Shaka, so maybe that's not as bad. Um, I don't want to see anything of McNeese State. They're going to be as sexy as it comes in terms of a upset pick. Um, and then you're in Purdue's region, uh, and you're in the Midwest, and you're going to Detroit. Um, I want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, I want to avoid the Detroit region as much. While it would be nice to play in Detroit, it would be not nice to play Purdue. Uh, if we do a quick gander, so we'll see. And then in terms of this week for Marquette, you know, you have to play DePaul with a fired coach. That is not exactly what you want, um, not exactly what you're looking for. Um, you, that new coach balance is always a, a concern. Uh, so Marquette's going to have to lock in and they're going to have to stomp onto Paul's throat early on. And then you have a really tough Seton Hall game uh, where you could certainly improve your resume. Um, Seton Hall having a good Big East year and that would certainly help it. So Marquette can continue to climb back up and continue to climb into you know that three-line, that two-line conversation. And then you go on the road for two games next week and that's when things really get tough after this Seton Hall game. Uh, a lot of road games here on deck uh, for, for the Golden Eagles. So we'll see how they are able to handle it. Uh, as for, so I know you said we talk about Wisconsin. I, I want to do it <laughs> a little bit differently. And as I'm not as big of a, a Badger hater as I used to be, um, I, I've lost my fastball in that category. I know some that listen, you, you guys really, really do not like Wisconsin. Uh, and I, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. Would we be scared if the bracket comes out and the Badgers would make the final four? Because, like, let's let's just keep it 100. If Marquette, with these two great years, do not make a Final Four, and the Badgers do, their fans will hold it over every Marquette fan's fucking head for a very long time. So let's acknowledge Wisconsin, but let's also, like, talk about worst-case scenario or if we're like, okay, fuck yeah, we don't have to worry about it. We're, well, they, they, you know, misery loves company. If we were to lose, they'll, they'll probably lose too. Um, and like, I, so looking at Jerry Palm's bracket for the Badgers, I would be kind of scared because you have Louisiana Tech who plays a little slower style. If you play Colorado State or Mississippi State, Mississippi State versus Wisconsin would literally be like watching old people fuck. I know Wisconsin's playing a little bit faster these days, but at the end of the day, it, I just, I don't know. I, I can't buy in that it would just be completely different. And then they'd, either, they'd be in Tennessee's region. Um, and Tennessee has beat the Badgers earlier this year. But Rick Barnes in, in March is a combination that doesn't usually work. And then they'd be in Houston's region in Dallas. Uh, and Houston, you know, again, it, Houston plays an aggressive style. But I, I, again, I, I feel like that would actually be troublesome. We'd have to worry about maybe a Wisconsin Final Four run. I think their fans would put Wisconsin in the Final Four if that were the case. Now, Houston, Tennessee back-to-back -back would beat your ass up. Like, if you had to pay that on Friday, Sunday, that would be tough because Tennessee just absolutely beats up their opponents. So I, I do wonder, would that... But then again, like, Florida, that was my worry with Florida Atlantic last year. And I was like, okay, Kansas State gets sort of this ragged Florida Atlantic bunch after playing Tennessee. And then they beat Kansas State. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not the case. I, I'm not, not entirely sure. So yeah, I'd be a little worried. I wouldn't be as worried, weirdly enough, if they're the two... Lenardi has them as a two seed. but And they're playing Sam Houston. Um, and that'd probably be a win. But then they play either Iowa, or Iowa State or Oregon in the second round. Who's, it's classic that that would happen. Because they would, they've played those teams a lot in March. And Iowa State, I think, is a bad matchup for Wisconsin. I think TJ Olsenberger, uh, the former Thomas Moore grad, I think wants to give it to Wisconsin, knows that they recruit against the same kind of guys. I think that, that matters. Um, and then they would be in Auburn's region. And Auburn 
is as good of a team, I think, right, in college basketball. Like, I, I think Auburn is right there in terms of the best in college basketball. So, personally, that would be, and it's also in the Dallas region. I, I think Dallas works to Wisconsin's favor, given how they travel. Like, it's very easy to get to Dallas uh, from Milwaukee. That that bodes from our cut, too. Like, if you get into Dallas's race, like, any of these really actually work out in terms of traveling, because it's Detroit. You can drive there. You can fly there. Uh, it's Boston, um, which I doubt Marquette will be in because that'll be UConn's region. Uh, easy, easy flight to get to Boston. LA, easy. Uh, Dallas, easy. The only thing about LA is that it's expensive as fuck. So that's that's the only thing where it's maybe a little harder from a hotel perspective. But those other ones, it's pretty damn easy to get to. So, um, but I, I love that in terms of that because I don't think the ceiling for Wisconsin would be that high because I, again, really like that Auburn team. I, if I had to do sort of my power rankings of how I, how I see things right now, it's kind of Purdue, North Carolina, you, uh, no, not UConn. I actually put Auburn ahead of UConn and then UConn. Uh, I, I just, I don't want to be a hater on UConn, but and I think their defense is really good and they get you into the mud. I just don't know if they can score the way they did last year. Um, they, they haven't necessarily shown that yet this year in the Big East play. Now it's early. It's time. There's still time to do that. But it seems like they're more of a drag it into the mud kind of team. And I just wonder, can you speed them up? I also just, I don't know if I've seen, we have seen peak UConn yet. Um, if they keep winning games in the Big East and they go, you know, they only lose like three games and win the Big East kind of going away, um, then yeah, I got to acknowledge that they're really fucking good. But that's kind of how I see it right now. Um, can change. Uh, certainly can change uh, as it goes on. All right. That does it for today's show. Uh, we will talk to you guys again on Thursday and uh, look forward to doing that. And we'll talk to you then. And then Mitch and I on, on Friday. So take care. Have a good one. See you. Bye.